Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Scratch Cinema podcast, rebooting new and improved. I am Chase, and I am joined today from across the country by Twitter's newest reply guy, Quinnell. Quinnell, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to be recapping the, you know, little awards show, the local event that happened this past Sunday, the Oscars, then talking about some upcoming Valentine's Day movies that are coming out, as well as our favorite Valentine's Day movies as well for this Valentine's themed episode, since that's, you know, that's coming up just just for some Tomorrow. movies that you need to find. Yeah, but it's today when they hear it. So whatever. Uh, right. True. Um, Happy Valentine's yeah. Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Thank you for joining us. So to kick things off, we're going to recap kind of from top to bottom, starting with the best picture and making our way down. Some of the awards we have things to say about. Uh, some might be brief. Some might be more than others. We probably will talk more about the ones we disagree on, just as movies generally, which we're going to call the Joker debate because we have very different ideas about Joker. But to start off, we, we start with Parasite. It's a weird thing to say that the best picture of the year happened to also win best picture. I was very bitter after last year, so it was a huge relief that something like Ford versus Ferrari didn't come out of nowhere and win. All all respect to that movie, but that that was what it felt like last year. Um, Quinnell, did you see Parasite? I did see Parasite. And what did you think of Parasite? Um, I thought it was a fantastic film. I really enjoyed the framing. Um, after doing a little research, also recognized that um, the director is very uh, meticulous about planning each and every frame. Almost, it almost looks like a comic book when you um, sort of see the original concepts. But it was fantastic. I was on edge, really on the edge of my seat for the entire movie. It was very, very stressful. But I, I don't know. I like the conversation that it was having with capitalism. But I also think just even without the commentary, it was an incredible film. Great suspense. What, what conversation did you think it was having with capitalism? Oh, well, I think there is a discussion to be had about the responsibilities of the wealthy or, yeah, the, just really the, really the responsibilities of the wealthy to have a certain awareness, but also you see the sort of tension between people who are struggling and also people who don't want to identify with that struggle as a part of themselves and I just thought that was really interesting and I don't not very far away even though the film was in fact a foreign film to you know being an American but I think the issue was very close to home I hate to have to do this but there was some some beef on Twitter uh, I will not say their name but there was someone who said the fundamental central metaphor of parasite was flawed because who who are the parasites and it quickly became clear that he thought our protagonists the lower class family were actually the parasites that they were just preying off of this rich family who hired them to do a job which oh boy that's a gross and seemingly active misreading of what is happening because it's not like the poor family is angry at the rich family they're more just like oh the rich family is so naive and dumb that they don't realize what we're doing, but there's never any resentment towards them, except in moments where, without spoiling too much, it's almost like they're overcome by anger and frustration. And I don't know. I think what makes it so good is it's just like, oh, 
everyone is a deeply flawed character. No one is sort of like operating well. And when I had written about it, I had sort of framed it as the rich have class, class solidarity do you because, oh boy, I was hoping that at a certain point when it becomes clear that there is more in common that the uh, working families have with each other that they would, would unite, but no, that is not the direction the story takes. But it's really impactful to see people sort of turn on each other and fight. And I think this was the best movie of the year. I really do say that. And that's rare that that happens. And it was a historic win, and I think it was great. And it's unfortunate none of the cast was nominated for best acting, because I think they really did make it what it is. But I, I was really thrilled with it. Well, I do have a question, Chase. Who do you think was the parasite then? I think, think that the was title refers to. I think that was a name because it was a funny thing. I had a conversation with a coworker who was like, "Oh, I thought it was literally a parasite. I thought it was a horror movie about a bug that is in someone." <laughs> I I think it really is that the wealthy family is the parasite, and I think it's that sort of framing differently because it's like they can't live in this decadence and wealth without it having repercussions they are leeching off society through others people's work and labor because it, it's sort of the thing no one earns their way to that much wealth there's a lot of standing on other people's backs and luck that has to happen all that comes at the expense of other people and that's that's what i thought was the core of it and i don't think that's undercut by sort of the academy award giving it recognition or a bunch of wealthy people being like, oh, it's great. If anything, it just proves the point that they really are naive and are just like, oh, yeah, what a great movie when it has like so much more going on. It's so interesting. Hmm. What about you? What do you think? Honestly, I guess I wasn't sure. I, I always thought that was sort of part of the conversation the film was having, honestly, because after watching the movie, my knee jerk reaction was that the families, the working families were the parasites, but it also seemed, I don't know, something about the language of being parasitic seemed so much more negative than the way that they were depicted. And so I guess I was, I, I mean, I guess I was just curious about maybe what the director intended, but I wasn't completely sold that either of them were or weren't the parasite that the title was referring to. Because in a lot of ways, I would say, definitely the the rich family was really undervaluing their their workers like that's part of the the core issue and why it was so easy for this other family to come and take all of these different positions because they didn't see any of the people who were working for them as people right and i think that's the thing is they're also deeply flawed they are often ruthless and the scene where they're all getting drunk and sort of reminiscing on wow, we've, we've been able to have such opportunities. But then they do feel a little bit of guilt. But very quickly, the daughter is like, well, why don't you feel sorry for me? What about me? So it's like they're cruel as well. They're desperate yeah. and willing to hurt other people. And that's what made it interesting is these are not people sort of uniting at the end because that would have sort of been a very Hollywood storybook ending when the real world is not like that. And people often will push each other down, even if they're coming from the same place of desperation. Yeah, but they don't. People don't want to see themselves as desperate, and I think that that's probably the biggest part of the conversation for me regarding the title is that you see each of these different groups of people, but you don't see the working class as as one. You don't see both the housekeeper and her husband who lives in the 
like bunker. Spoiler. And... <laughs> oh, that's sorry. What, that's what happens. It's okay. Right. We're we're giving. Um... If, if you're, we'll we'll indicate that there's spoilers going into it. Okay. Um, but yeah, they you there's know. no there's no solidarity they have with each other. They don't. But not really just leave. that. Immediately, the um the other working class family when they discover this, they they identify these people as the parasites. Like, oh, you've been doing something wrong. You've been living off these people and don't see themselves as the same. Yeah, even though they're all in this position, they're all really struggling and relying on this family to support themselves. But what's interesting is that, so this is where I sort of go on a little bit of a tangent more into deeper spoilers in the last part of the movie. The decision by the son to go down with the rock and attempt to kill them is fascinating because that actually dooms them. If he hadn't done that, they might have gotten out of it. They might have been fine. But it was that like desire to enact violence necessarily to supposedly protect them. It's what does them in. Whereas the mother and the daughter sort of are saying maybe we could find a way to work things out with them. <laughs> and if that had happened, there could potentially have been a good ending for them. But it's the anger of the son that results in the death of his sister and his father being trapped and them getting punished for the crimes that they committed. It's it's a very interesting and sadly ironic ending that the violence he was going to enact ended up only hurting himself and his family when they maybe couldn't have gotten totally off scot-free, but they could have salvaged the situation if not for his impulsive desire to attack. Yeah, and I do also think he's the only character who really struggles with becoming because he has this overwhelming desire to be a part of this world, like maybe marry their daughter, maybe go off to college and sort of, in a lot of ways, just elevate his position. I think that remains, you know, a core part of his character even through the end of the film, while, you know, his his mother and his father don't see themselves becoming rich people. They see their son possibly becoming rich. And his sister, they, you know, they even comment on how comfortable she already is. She doesn't feel like she's trying to pretend to be something else. And so I think in that way, he's the only person who feels like he has this pretense to protect. But that's a false pretense. Like, the end is so tragic because he's writing this letter to his father saying one day I will make enough money to eventually buy this house and you will be free and we could be together as a family again. When the reality really is that, him. no, that's never going to happen, especially now that he has a criminal record. Like, they're back where they are and that is probably where they're going to stay. Exactly. There isn't this fantasy of pull himself out of the situation, make exorbitant amounts of money to buy this house and then just move in. I and mean, so that but he does still thing. hold on to that fantasy. Oh, no, yeah, that, but it's... Yeah. it's Completely a fantasy that yeah. is so so fantastical that they haven't aged that they're all just there and it's just like oh what a happy reunion but then the shot at the end mirrors the shot at the beginning nothing has changed they're right back where they were and I don't know it was a gut punch it was really good and I also there were so many things the second time I saw it that really hit you how many times have you seen it I did only watch it once that's okay um in the second time around and maybe it's just that I'm dumb because the person I saw it with the second time noticed this but when the father is driving the car and they're remarking about the previous housekeeper being fired, the wealthy father says, oh, she was so great, except she always would just eat so much. She almost would eat for two people. Mm -hmm. And it serves yeah. two purposes, which is great because he's being kind of a prick and saying, oh, she was fat. 
But really, you're like, oh, whoa. She, she was trying to smuggle food to him, but they were so oblivious to it that he just assumed she was being fat. And I, I really like little details like that that enhanced two parts of the story that were really interesting. Yeah, well, I also think that everything that he disliked about the people who worked for him came from the fact that he just disliked poor people. He just disliked... Yeah, and the, that the smell qualities that he didn't realize, yeah. or maybe maybe did realize, but he didn't identify with them being people who were struggling and them being people who were poor. He was just hated them. Well, the repeated line, like, don't cross the line, like, don't come over here. We're not friends. You are my employee. He barely sees them as deserving of any respect. Like the scene where he's making the father participate in the, like, haha, we're. Native Americans attacking my son because he just loves that imagery and the father's just like so depressed and he's like this is a job I'm paying you to do this like as soon as he is like eh no I don't feel like it he's like no don't forget what this relationship is like I hire you and ruin your life in a heartbeat and additionally the scene where you know huge spoiler but we're past that um after the the man who lived in the bunker has been stabbed and he needs to get the keys and he holds his nose to move him and it's interesting because yeah, you sort of have moment. these characters who are foils of each other because he's he respects this rich man so much for all the things that he's accomplished but at the end of the day he's still resented by him right but it's so it's it's more of satire than anything that is happening because it's like even in this moment where his son is in a medical emergency, he still can't help himself of having this resentment for the smell of poor people that it's like exaggerated, but still effective to hammer home the point of how much he despises the lower class. And it's in that moment where violence breaks out because the father finally snaps and stabs him, but it's, it's almost in a daze. He almost doesn't realize what he's doing. He still hasn't figured out the way the world is structured and how to fight back against it, which is a more honest indictment of sort of the way the world is structured than I would say the other movie that most closely has to deal with class relations, which is what I'm shifting into with Joker. Oh, God. Okay. But here's the thing. I'll let you go first. As an olive branch, and as the only person I know who really, really likes this movie, I will let you explain what you saw in Joker, whatever there is. I still am not sure, but go ahead. All right. Sorry, that was, that was a little backhanded of it. It's all right. I, I know I already knew this conflict was coming. It's, um, it's interesting. I'm curious. I really am. Well, I guess I'm going to start with I think I'm happy that he won Best Actor because yeah, I I'm, really I'm good with this that. film is a character drama. It's character driven. And I really appreciated the depth of character that Joaquin Phoenix gave the role. Um, I do have some inner conflict about the depiction of a villain as a mentally ill person, but I also think it does well to answer that with what kind of villain the Joker is in this film. And more than anything, um, he's a person, he's someone whose problems stem from the problems of the world. And in some ways, he starts out the film trying to be normal or typical. He's working, he's seeking help regarding his mental illness. And I think the, the journey of the film is him losing each part of the life that he's trying to build for himself and starting with being abandoned by the state. So the first thing you see is that they're losing funding. He can't be cared for. He can't get his medication anymore. And after that, you sort of see this world that he's built peeling away. He loses his job for something that not only is not in his control, but he was actively sabotaged. 
and by his coworker, yeah. By his coworker, who is a prick. And but then just so can I? I don't mean to interject. If his coworker is a prick, and it sort of establishes this conflict, it feels strange towards the end where his coworker just shows up with like drinks and is like, "Hey, we're friends, right?" It feels like they need. I mean, I appreciate all of what you're saying, and I can see that in there. It's just little things. It's almost like they write themselves into a corner where it's like, "Oh, we need to establish that he's going over the edge." Let's have his coworker who wronged him show up just randomly at his apartment. It's not and random. Yeah, it feels it's random not because random. He, he's worried he had disappeared. about the possibility of being sent to prison, and he knows that the gun that is registered to him. So why now? Why wasn't that because they, they through... came to his job and asked him about it? Okay. Like a few scenes before, they he's worried about you know the possible repercussions of having murdered somebody even though he knows that he didn't murder someone so he's going to the person who he knows has to be responsible and trying to sort of chum it up so that he doesn't get in trouble he's still being a prick but here here's the thing i hear all of what you're saying and i think there's definitely a good movie in there i just think they need to strip away like three of the subplots to try and make it a little bit more focused this is where we disagree i don't see them as subplots I just, you don't I, think the, like, oh, my father might be Bruce Wayne? Because here's the thing. In a movie that was meant to be, as Todd Phillips, the director, described it, smuggling in a story about a man who is down on his luck, just an everyday person, into this superhero genre world, why have this, like, thing where, oh, he might be Bruce Wayne's son, and then they show the scene we've all seen 500 times of the family being killed? That that just felt extraneous. It could have been just so much more focused of this is Arthur's story. The Wayne family maybe is there, and it is clear that there's this class difference, but it just almost felt like a waste where it's like, oh, okay, that doesn't matter. He never has any sort of closure to that storyline, except that they just die because he elicited a riot, except the fact that he disregards that and says, no, I don't affiliate myself with that until he kind of does it's it just feels very unsure of itself in a way that parasite every moment i was like this is a vision joker i just it never really knew what it wanted to say for me and i know i know you disagree with that yes well i'm gonna start off saying that i don't think this film is structured in a real like a plot b plot sort of way i think that each different interaction that he's having with different characters is really more about what it contributes to his personal identity, to who he is, where he's from, what he's dealing with. So, you know, from his mental illness to dealing with his job, to dealing with his relationships and also dealing with his mother. And I think that relationship with his mom is the strongest one that he has, but also recognizing that this is part of this, his, his, problems aren't isolated that part of it is also that his mother is sick and that at a a certain period of time she relied on this family that she expected to to help and protect her and they abandoned her as well and so she entertained this delusion that maybe he was bruce wayne's son you know you don't really get a straight answer about that but i think the answer ends up being no Yeah. yeah that he's not but you also have that sort of sense of abandonment of a possible real father, whether Bruce Wayne was his father or not, which he isn't, but seeing that that relationship that his mother had with the family was in fact real, 
and that she also wasn't seen as a person. She was just seen as somebody who they employed. And when she was no longer useful, they sort of cast her aside. And so she made this up to cope with the world in the same way that, that Arthur's character makes things up to cope with the world and specifically relationships. And it is the one thing that he and his mom have in common is that their major delusion is about relationships and about the way that they're connected to people. And in most ways they aren't connected to anybody except for each other. Every time you describe this movie, I retroactively am like, oh yeah, I did appreciate the way that was there. I just wish then that ended up would be the focus, the relationship between him and his mother, their shared struggle a little bit more until we have this, oh, he maybe is involved with the neighbor until that ends up being a unnecessary twist, which Yeah, because I don't doesn't... think the focus is any of these plots. I think that the focus well, it needed is Arthur. To be, though. I mean, I but Arthur, as he interacts with the people in his life, it feels a very scattershot where it can't pick which one it wants to focus on. Because, because the biggest problem... I of them are more important than the others. I think they needed to be. I think in order to really have a focused story that has an impact it needs to have an idea of what matters in the story instead of various sort of potential narrative threads that kind of get abandoned because his his uh neighbor that i'll I'll be honest it was very obvious that she was not actually interested in him it started out subtly where they have this shared moment in the elevator of their frustrations with the world and a dark joke between them but then he takes her on a date to him doing stand-up comedy and she's genuinely laughing at it. And it's very strange and it's very clear. But I was fine with it when she then is like, oh, what are you doing in my apartment? That was a gut punch until they show, oh, we're going to go back to every single flashback. Okay. It didn't trust the audience to know what happened. And then she's gone from the movie. She doesn't exist. We don't really see what happens with her. And if that's not important, that's fine. It just feels like that maybe should have been, not sacrifice, but there should have been prioritization on what relationships do matter to him. And I think the mother relationship was the most impactful. And this is where I'm going to sort of transition. Do you know the movie You Were Never Really Here? I don't. I'm not familiar. Okay. It, it was a movie that came out in 2018. It was also Joaquin Phoenix as a violent man who's struggling with a variety of different things in the world but I just felt like it was much more impactful because it was we're going to focus on the relationship with his mother where when that breaks down there's a lot more impact to it I and I just when I think about Joker I'm just like oh yeah there was that but then there was this other thing there were the riots that were happening and then, okay, so the end scene of the movie, just because we can't talk about Joker forever, but we could, even though we shouldn't. Um, yes, like I have more to say. <laughs> okay, uh-huh. you can definitely get back to it. But the thing about the biggest moment of the movie where it abandons all subtlety is the end scene, or at least I'll say the climactic scene. It's not quite the end scene, where he goes on the talk show. And I thought that was, like, pretty much really great. Until he sort of just, like, spells out his motivation. It's like there was, like, a little uh, note in the margins of the script that just got said where he's like, this is what happens when you do a thing, and then this happens, and society <laughs> abandons me. And I was like, wait a minute, you were saying you didn't have a message. Where is this coming from? Why are you just spelling it out? I could have interpreted this instead of just like lays it all out on the table, and it felt like they didn't trust that the story had conveyed that idea. And so they like panic, were like, quick, say this line. 
And it feels really out of place and then kind of undercuts the scene for me. Instead of it just being very sudden that he commits this act of violence, which we knew was coming, but it was like, oh, okay, he's going to spell out his motivations like in big, bold letters. Here's why I'm doing this all of a sudden, even though there was no indication that I had this deeper message or idea about society. Let's just say it. And this is done. Okay, well, first I'm going to say that I think that throughout the film, I really just think that he's losing his tethers to this world. And for a lot of reasons, including his lack of medication, um, I do think that he he has nothing to live for. And I think that that's the journey of the film is him losing everything that he might even have to live for. So, I mean, I guess I didn't think that all of those things were that out of place. But I also think that his announcement at the end of the film is not as much to the audience as it is to himself because he is fully intending to commit suicide. And I don't think that, I mean, obviously as the audience, Whoa, you know, where are you, going. where are you, where are you getting that? This is sort of a death mission of his, because I don't, I don't think it's he rehearsal. cares. No, he, he rehearses killing himself. And why, then why doesn't he? Because it he gets like... on TV and even after he's lost everything that he thinks he cares about, he realizes that he still wants to live and it's not himself that he's angry at, it's the rest of the world. I think that's the message of that last scene and that why it's so strong is he gets in front of the, the lights and it's almost like there's this shift where he's like, oh, wow, I'm actually here. Oh, I'm having an experience that I imagined and now I'm, I'm here in the moment and I'm realizing that there are still experiences worth having at all. And so there's this, I mean, I really even think that it's it's clear in his physicality. He sort of shifts in his seat. He looks around at the lights and there's a change from him pointing all of this aggression at himself. Well, I mean, which he is, it hasn't done super effectively throughout the film, given all the people that he's killed, but also right. seeing that, that he, the outside world, the world that has antagonized him is the villain and not himself because he does intend to kill himself. I, th- I thought that was really clear. But then why didn't he? Because he had plenty of chances to and to make himself kind of a martyr for this cause. But then yeah, he... he I mean, I think that's the intention when he goes on the show. Is he, and I, I think there are scenes where he like he does practice, maybe in the mirror, just okay. pulling out the gun and killing himself. And, and, and I want to talk about that scene because then it sort of just feels like, oh, okay, if this was his intent all along, that scene just then again feels like a loose thread because then he doesn't. And it's it's a separate thing where it's like the answer to the question of that parasite, I think, answers better of how do you deal with a world that or like what is a world like that treats you poorly? The the characters in Parasite are all sort of complicated and flawed. This seems to like sort of be like, oh, but he's now happy now, even though he's done this like adventurous thing that was never connected to this broader struggle and the movie's never really interested in that. Because it's just sort of in the background of like, oh, people holding signs and he occasionally walks through and just chuckles at it. But that's that's about it. But I don't think it's a shift to him being happy. I don't think. He... Oh, no, I don't think he's happy. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, but I, I think that it's meant to there's... be a cathartic sort of, oh, the world is still bad, but I found something that. I don't know, dulls the pain when I don't have my medication, when I well, now no longer... might be something worth living for when you thought that there was nothing left, that each piece was gone, that work was gone, your mother's gone, the possibility of having a family is gone, the possibility of relationships with other people is gone, the state that once supported you is gone, and you think you have nothing, and you realize that maybe there might be 
a cause and there might be all these other people that are also feeling this frustration with rich people, with people who ignore the mentally ill or people who antagonize them. And I felt like that was, I mean, I guess I, I felt like that was the clear message even in the theater. I was stoked um, that he didn't kill himself. And I, I don't know, I guess that was the tension to me is, you know, answering the question of how do you deal with this world? And for him, it was to attack the people that he felt were responsible. Obviously, he's still the villain, murder, but... <laughs> he was an anti-hero in this story. Yes. The real question is, when you'd sort of alluded to earlier how it portrays his mental illness as being something that leads to violence, and there have been plenty of people that even have looked at the medication he's taking, and it's kind of unclear what is going on with him. I just think it then becomes like, oh, okay, he lashes out violently kind of randomly without really any understanding of why. And is it to be seen? Is it to just get revenge? It just, it becomes very muddled for me. And not that things need to be clear. Violence is random. Uh, it, it felt very random at times. It felt, uh, especially the, the scene in um, his apartment where he just sort of kills the man because, oh yeah, he wronged him. But there have been plenty of people who have wronged him. It's it's his it's his coworker who it has to be like, oh, we're setting off the slow descent now. He hasn't killed out of defense as he did on the subway. He's killing out of revenge, I suppose. But that's not connected to the the broader struggle, I guess. It just sort of happens, and then we move on. And there's a joke about the other coworker who is very short, and it is I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way in sequences like that, where it's like, that could have been cut, and it would have almost made it again more streamlined and clean. It just felt like they needed that coworker to come back for violence to happen, something shocking to happen, to advance the story that was kind of stalling. I would say I don't think there are too many people who wronged him that he didn't kill. Um, he doesn't directly kill Bruce Wayne. No, he doesn't directly kill Bruce Wayne, and I think that might be the only person. He doesn't. He doesn't kill that many people. He kills the the men on the subway who attack him. The guy who set him up the, to lose his job. Guy who set him to lose his job. The television host, and I think that's it, except possibly the therapist at the end, which also seems to again be muddled. Because then it's like, oh, okay, he's totally. Or, I mean, some people say whether it any all happened. There's all these theories that sort of are trying to add depth to it, and I just. I don't know. I'm glad he won for Best Actor, and I'm glad the movie run for Best Score, because I actually thought the score was quite good. I just... I, I'm going to say one more thing. No, okay. It's clear that we're going to continue to disagree. And then we can move on. I know. <laughs> and then we can move on. But I was going to say, I think that one of the reasons that it is so unclear what kind of illness the Joker has, or whether or not he has one at all, and I, I, I mean, I think that's the conversation, is whether or not he's sick or whether or not the world is sick. And I think that's why there's not as much of a direct engagement with the illness. There's even sort of maybe a small conversation that he has with the police officers outside of the hospital um, where they basically question whether or not he's ill because he's not being actively symptomatic at the moment. And I, I mean, I guess I felt really strongly that that was really about whether or not people who are responding extremely to the world at large are in this way, you know, with this character, if they're ill at all, or if the world is ill. And I don't, I thought that was a really important conversation. Okay. 
Well, on that note, we're probably going to shift into maybe breezing through some of the other Best Picture nominees that didn't win. Um, what do you have any? You had an interesting Twitter thread that I did agree with on 1917, where I feel like we can pretty universally say didn't learn much about the characters. As you said in your Twitter thread, he trades alcohol for his medal, misses his family, and that's about it. It's yeah, very surface level. Kind of know his name. Uh, what was yeah, his name? Oh God, I think. Yeah, see, I, put you I don't even spot. remember. I know he says it when his the guy's brother asks him at the end, and I just can't remember at the moment. Yeah, it was a but technically <laughs> proficient movie, and there are some things that are like nuggets of interest where it's about war and the breakdown of leadership where they originally tell them, make sure that when you tell the orders not to advance, that other people are there basically implying that they would just be so committed to going to war that they would ignore the warning, even if it results in people dying, which then is complicated at the end by Benedict Cumberbatch character saying they're going to tell us not to advance today, but then they will tomorrow and everyone will die then. And it's sort of, that was like a small nugget that was there, but it felt more, about the spectacle and the ride of the experience of the movie than about telling some of these interesting stories. His name's Tom. But also, I, I agree. Um, I, I guess I've, I've come to understand, while I don't like it, that I think the film is, you're supposed to be disconnected from the characters because, I don't know, the experience of war disconnects you from the human experience. Uh, but I also just... I think that's giving it too much credit. I understand what you could say from that about alienation and dehumanization in war, but who like the movie that's that seems to be the common thread that it's poor on character development because it's not a film about the characters. It's a film. So it's intentionally shallow when it comes to characters. Yeah, I've been the only good argument. I think you can thread the needle better than that and make it so that there is this alienation and dehumanization with the character's experience, but you understand and empathize where they're coming from to where you connect with them without just sort of being at the end like, oh yeah, those were sort of just like two dudes just hanging out. 100% preaching to the choir. (laughs) Should we go to movies we might disagree on? No, it's okay. I just just wanted to say I just think that, that you can have that the, when the major character is undeveloped, I think it is possible to create character development that is effective and impactful to the audience and also letting them understand that war is desensitizing and right. dehumanizing. I just don't think that... I think that a lot of war films, and I'm not even a person who really enjoys war movies most right. of the time, but I think that other films have done that effectively and it's not impossible. Right. Um, so... The interesting thing to wrap up the 1917 discussion is that it was pretty much shut out of some of the big categories where I thought it was going to win, even though I didn't think it should. I pessimistically thought it was going to win Best Picture. The only thing I think it won for was visual effects, best cinematography, and best sound mixing. And honestly, that's fine. Those, yeah, because Roger Deakins has always been great, and I think he probably deserves a lot of credit for how the movie ends up looking visually, and that's fine. Um, so what did you think of Jojo Rabbit? Because that's one of the main other ones I want to talk about, and we can kind of just move on. I think Jojo Rabbit 
won the award that it deserved, and it didn't deserve any of did, the others. <laughs> did it win the award it deserved? Because I, why do you think it deserved best adapted screenplay? Because that was the one it won. Because I think that the writing is what made the film interesting. The way that the writing had a conversation with sort of, you know, a modern understanding of a child and a family, and also being able to to look back at this experience. And I how I just, how I think so? Fun. Because Okay, so I'm going to be citing a lot from something that came out today because I, Jojo Rabbit was something I was very curious about and was one of my most anticipated movies. And then there's this review, which I'll probably link to. It's, it's just entitled My Final Words on Jojo Rabbit from Esther on Film. And it essentially talked about how the movie from the get-go was very strange about how it labeled itself as a satire when it really isn't really satirizing anything, it's sort of portraying, and they do a very good job of breaking down the humor and like how the, the laughs are gained, but all of the Nazi characters are sort of just bumbling idiots, and it's like, oh, you laugh at them, but sort of it like diminishes their threats, and oh boy, I think the queering of certain characters is really bizarre and strange. I loved that, and I also okay. thought like, it was very intentional. But I don't think that, so there was this academic article that was like about how drones are queering warfare. Do you remember this? I vaguely, unfortunately. Oh boy. It's, that's what this movie feels like. like. I don't think there's value to queering Nazis. I just think it makes it so it's like, oh, see, some of them were gay. So it's probably okay, even though they were killing gay people in mass numbers and it just feels so strange where it's like oh whoa look at us being edgy the nazis were gay and it's like but what does that have to say about anything it just sort of feels like a weird sort of shield of like oh but look we're being like inclusive and radical but it's like i don't think being inclusive as a nazi is valuable like it's the same thing where it's like oh yeah drones queer warfare but drones like do terrible things i don't understand why that's valuable Okay, I so also I'm... think, <laughs> so uh, the last point I want to make is like something much deeper towards the ending. So go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I guess, specifically about the queering, because, you know, beyond the comedy of the film, you do also have this movie that is about Nazis. But I think that the queering of the characters, especially the characters that they chose to queer, is about whether or not people you know it's about i guess humanizing nazis we don't love that but also you have a character who even though he doesn't get a screen a lot of screen time he's not a major character is essentially a part of a resistance like he the the character who is uh, coded as gay is also a character who protects jo uh, jojo and um and protects his mother and is also inexplicably in his home after you find out that his mom is a person who's also part of a resistance so as a character who is a nazi he's also sort of a fringe character in all of those ways so for but example, his character is super significant to what i think the intent was like it feels like everything wrong is in that character for me okay i want to hear about it well it might also be that i feel like sam rockwell plays these types of characters he did it in three billboards where he's the racist cop that sort of redeems himself in a way that just felt a little bit underdeveloped, um, even though I think there can be sort of redemption stories that do happen. 
in this, it just felt like, oh, he's reluctantly a Nazi, and he saves Jojo at the end, so he's fine. And he Even... saves Elsa in the middle. <sighs> yes, he does. He does overlook the Elsa thing, which the movie I feel like loses its nerve because I don't know what it was satirizing. I, there, people who have defended it have said, oh, it's from the child's perspective and how propaganda can be influential, but that just sort of feels like something that's very straightforward. Like, okay, yes, just because it's from the perspective of a child doesn't mean it can't grapple with greater themes about fascism or Nazism. Like in Pan's Labyrinth, the main character is a young child, but you still learn a lot from their perspective and through their eyes. And the moment where, with the book, I think the movie loses its nerve because in the same article I was referencing, it talks about how the end of the book, when Jojo lies and says that the war isn't over, the book continues with that and she stays in the house and they get married and she's living this world that she thinks is for her safety and he's living this lie and then he eventually tells her and she immediately leaves him and that sort of hammers home the main point which is that there was no sort of like cute relationship they had he had the ability to get her killed at any moment and to sort of have it be that the only reason he didn't is because he had a childish crush on her is very unsettling and strange and i understand it's cute because he's a kid and i have no beef with this child actor he's great all the acting is probably pretty solid it's just like this underlying tension of like this is actually horrifying and the movie well, kind of disagree i think all of the acting is terrible <laughs> you think all of the acting was terrible all okay of the acting was terrible and i <laughs> okay well then, then okay. taking it seriously for most of the film also what is scarlett johansson's accent doing yeah Johan the accent yeah. that's fine but um <laughs> scarjo what is her accent doing what are anybody's accents doing what is the acting in this film and maybe it's not important but i also think that the major film for theme for me is that for this child and also for people who maybe, you know, had the experience of being indoctrinated, but as a child, you know, not, not having a full understanding of even what you're talking about, that nothing was as it was. That, you know. What do you mean? It well, seemed pretty straightforward to me. Well, you know, he starts off thinking that he, he thinks that, you know, Jewish people are monsters and all of these things that he's been told. And then he discovers that it's not true. And so he slowly has to grapple with well, what what does the world mean now that the major thing that he's held on to, you know, as a child, he's, his mom describes him as a fanatic. What does it mean for right. him as a person if that's not true? And then I don't and, I don't think we ever get any indication in an in-depth way to know what his future is like. And I have an important question for you. If he was not a young boy who had a crush on the girl he was hiding in his attic, do you think he would have somehow still betrayed her? If it had been another boy his age who he is frightened by more, would he have turned her in? Or turned him in? I do don't. I actually don't think that... I mean, I think that he would have remained as attached to this person regardless. And I think that that was one of the things I liked about the adaptation is that while he obviously has, you know, a childish crush on this girl, I do think that it makes sort of the romanticism of it less central. And it's really more about him not being alone. I don't, I, I just I mean, don't. I realize that the, that, you know, the, 
work that it was taken from, that's not what it says, but I do think. No, it's yeah, this is like, because that's what kind of is weird is like, I can understand a winning in a best adapted screenplay. It's because it makes it fresh and new, but to sort of abandon a lot of the darker themes that were in the book is strange. It's fine that he introduces the imaginary friend. It gives it a interesting magical realism feel, even though I also think that's kind of poorly handled. No, I do think there's an interesting development from him under starting off thinking that, you know, Hitler could be this friendly best friend, you know, this because best friend that's, it's, it's not even Hitler. It's his imagined version. Exactly. But Hitler as he comes to understand the world, Hitler seems more like Hitler. <laughs> right. I evolution of this imaginary friend i i just called him schizophrenic for the entire film but sure of this imaginary friend and sort of understanding more and more what this person means to the world i guess i just don't think it's a satire i don't think there's any teeth to what it's saying and there was an interesting thing that robbie collin of the bbc did a review uh and on YouTube, oh boy, people were very upset about him saying some of the same things I'm saying. So I understand that there is a lot going on that's cute and sort of interesting where it's a child coming to terms with the horror of the world. My brother, when I told him I really didn't like this movie, he said my standards were too high from seeing Parasite. But I think because better movies exist and are great doesn't mean we should sort of give a pass to things that are... At the very least, a little clumsy. At the very worst, I think a little misguided in how it sort of grapples with some of its more heady themes. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think the film was uncomfortable in general. But I, I guess I, right. don't, I don't think that they dealt with the issues very poorly. I guess I, I just disagree with that. I think that by making it a comedy and by making it about a child and their relationship with what their maturity honestly they managed to have a really important conversation about heavy topics that I think it was clearer by the end of the film like I, I think at the beginning it was you know light and funny and reminded me a lot of Moonrise Kingdom and its framing and yeah it ripped off a lot of the visual style of that it feels like I liked that but <laughs> I know I know and there's a line between homage and theft etc but yeah I, I'm glad you appreciated things about it. I just was very disappointed. I, that. I mean, I wouldn't have nominated it for an Academy Award, that's for sure. <laughs> but but you, said I, it, you said it deserved? or did you what, say I, I think of the, of the categories that it was nominated for, I think it got the only award that I really think it earned because I think if it had won any of those other awards, that would just would have been misplaced. I would have gone with Greta Gerwig for Little Women, but that's just me. Um, Little Women has been done so many times. But I know. <laughs> and did you see the new one? We can shift to that a little I, bit. I'm not going to lie. I, I didn't watch it. I wasn't that's interested. Okay. I, mean, I just didn't want to see another Little Women. It might have been that I was not exhausted with it because I was not super familiar with the story. But I, I thought it was very interesting in how it sort of recontextualize some of the characters that people had had frustrations with brought interesting things to the table when it comes to how they were sort of navigating and finding their way in the world with their own different desires and hopes and i i liked it but i i, I, do I hope... think that's a personal thing but uh -huh. i know i think you should still see it 
even if it's not even if it's not something you're the most excited about because you've seen it before, I think there's some things you might appreciate about it. Personal issue is that I went to an all girls school for seven years and we really ran <laughs> little women into the ground. We read it, so you saw it and then we reread it. We no, we we performed it. We did the whole musical. <laughs> I just I know the characters. I'm familiar with them, the story. I'm I, I can watch it again, but I just didn't think that adapting Little Women again seemed like a award worthy feat. Okay. It's fantastic source material. <laughs> I just think what people appreciate is it made it feel new. Even as it had been done to death, it stood out from the rest of the adaptations. For some people, for worse, um, for other people, for better. But I think there's something new there. Um, okay, are there any. All right. Are there any other Oscars-related topics oh, you'd like to talk about? Yes, I really, really enjoyed The Neighbor's Window. Oh, good. You saw the shorts, so we can really get nerdy about some of the things. Oh, I, saw all I the really shorts. enjoyed that one. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't watch all of the short films, but I did watch the, ones, the, the one that won. Okay. You ready to be upset where I talk about the, the shorts and how I really didn't like The Neighbor's Window? Oh, because... God. All right, fine. Because it it felt like midway through it the the song that comes on from the national does a lot of narrative heavy lifting to really be like oh okay you see you don't know that there's there's this darker thing that's going on and it it just felt like it really relied on that and kind of then at the end was like oh okay see you don't really know and I think the last shot is great it just really was like slapstick strange at the beginning then gets like super sad and sentimental and then like the scene where she just like goes over and like they have this conversation it's like oh see i've been spying on you too i don't know it felt like a very sort of like sentimental rear window and i i don't know it I love maybe all i of these things though i don't know the song by the national and i really don't remember it and i saw okay. It very okay. recently so i guess it didn't do any lifting at all for me <laughs> okay personally i'm glad you saw it though did you see any of the other shorts i didn't but i do want to say about this one that okay obviously it was very fast paced because it was 20 minutes but right. i i did appreciate the relationship between somebody who is essentially taking their life for granted and you don't really right you know and and how other people have their own separate struggles that they're going but, through. But I, I don't think so. I mean, I guess obviously that that's really heavy in the film because you have this character who's, you know, dying essentially. And, you know, they are going through a hardship. But I think more than anything, um, I thought it was interesting where the different characters found their joy so that in some ways she and her husband were really indulging this experience of watching these young people and not knowing that they're being watched and because the the woman is like oh i've been watching your family she's like oh i've been watching your children and she's exhausted with her children the entire film she doesn't hardly have anything good to say about them and they're practically in the periphery of just the entire experience just it's the thing that makes her tired and it's the thing that makes her resentful and that's it and sort of having that flipped on its head when she goes over to talk to her to say, that, oh, well, we were going through all of these terrible things and we found our little joy in your family. 
And I don't know, I thought, I mean, I thought it was, it was sentimental, but I also thought it was really revealing about how easily people can take things for granted and not just that they're not having this hardship, but even that they have these little joys that they just aren't recognizing. I appreciate you saying that. I will maybe watch it again with that in mind. Um, the last thing I was sort of going to talk about from the Oscars, did you see any of the animated nominations? Not yes, the shorts. I, the... No, I didn't see all of the long ones, no. Oh, okay. Well, I we can talk short. about the short animated ones and then the features, just a little bit, because I, I have a soapbox about the features. But what did you think of the shorts? Um, I really loved all of them. I actually thought Kipple was going to win. Yeah, was that was pleasantly that was also surprised. Pretty... And it was great to see someone like three years ago tweet out this thing, be like, I'm going to win an Oscar, and then they win because yeah. they're great on Twitter. I loved that short. Like, it was just, yeah, I'm, it's great. You know, a little black girl who had to have my dad do my hair and really thinking that it was going to be a goddamn disaster. <laughs> Why do you think it was going to be a disaster? <laughs> um, because it's hard. Oh, you mean you personally, yeah. not the movie? Yeah, okay. me and watching the, watching this experience of this man trying to do this little girl's hair, just I I felt so connected to it. Um, and funny enough, when I was watching the Oscars, um, my boyfriend Morgan, who you are you are aware is white. We should tell our listeners my boyfriend is white and I'm black. Um, or one of my boyfriends is white and I'm black, and he had helped me part my hair. So I put done my hair and we got there and he'd seen the short and when it won he's like ah well that really hits home for me because doing hair is hard <laughs> like you did it for like 20 minutes today <laughs> and you're already feeling the the lifelong weight of having to do black which is just absurd but honestly <laughs> the true experience of dads learning to do hair and because when I was a kid my mom went away to Kansas and my dad had to do my hair and he had no idea what to do. I think he put hair grease in the microwave to get it soft enough to put my hair. It's just, I, I loved that short because it was just so personal and it was really sweet. And I just, I was happy to see it win. I'm also a sucker for shorts where there's like almost next to no dialogue. And it's just all told visually, except for sort of the videos that her mom had recorded. It was great. Ugh, that's just, uh, that's so real. Watching YouTube to get to do your hair. That's, I, I, <laughs> Um, I really did. Well, also it, was it, it was her mom recording the videos, so that was them connecting with her, even as she was in the hospital and far away. Yeah, I actually, when it started, I thought that she had passed away. Yeah, what I think it was interesting that it didn't, though. It because yeah. it was like that they were working through it, but that there was this like moment where they could all reconnect was good. And also to have somebody else witness how much he's grown than having <laughs> having this experience. I also. I read an article once about a group of si of single dads whose um, wives had mostly passed away, and they had to start a club to just together learn how to do their children's hair, and you know, not just black children, just in general, and the lack of experience that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of men have with doing a little girl's hair, and all of a sudden having this uh, responsibility is something that you don't really foresee. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Did um, I? I did. We'll say the long um, animated films. I did see How to Train Your Dragon. All right. Was that the only one you saw? I think it is the only one I saw. That's okay. It was. It was How to Train Your Dragon was one of my favorite movies when it first came out. I liked the second one. The third one, it felt like they were a little bit stretching it, 
Um, but it was also good. I liked the animation styles generally because they were all so different uh, <laughs> this year. So I, I would recommend you check out the other ones. The big one I would recommend is the movie I Lost My Body. I lost my body. I did see, I've seen clips from all of them. I'm just, I'm not sure of the entire plot of most of them. The plot of I Lost My Body is very simple, and there's some problems I have with some parts of it in the middle, but there's, like, certain sequences that are just, like, really good that I really, really liked. Um, so that would be my recommendation. I would kind of hope that might pull it out and win, but Pixar wins every year. They, they slide them one, even though Missing Link won the Golden Globe, and that was kind of an upset. It, it always goes to a Pixar movie, but yeah. I guess I'm always confused, because I don't... I haven't in the past paid a lot of attention to the animated film awards because it just doesn't make sense to me that a toy story movie in the year 2020 should be winning an academy award i just don't there's gonna be toy story 50 and we're gonna be dying and that's gonna be the last movie we ever see and it's gonna be (laughs) it's gonna be the world i just don't understand how a franchise film gets this much respect honestly that a, a film that ends in the number four should be winning an academy award just doesn't click to me it's because people are powered by nostalgia. That's always been a thing. Yeah, and I've heard that it was a darker film than the previous uh, one. Uh, well, tell me about it. I'll, I'll, I can take this. All right, so when it comes to being darker, I thought some of the, the first ones were very dark. Sid blowing up the toys, I thought that was a very dark element. The idea of like being abandoned and lost in the second one with Jesse, and even though the third one kind of is similar in that way, the fourth one just it didn't feel like it needed to happen except for the fact and this is going to be so weird that I'm like appreciative of this. The third one it was just bizarre where they were sort of like, "Oh yeah, Bo Peep's gone." And I think that was them planning for a fourth movie because Bo Peep is a lot more in this one and challenges the the world they've been living in and is like you don't need to have someone that is your kid anymore. You can be on your own. And that that was all good and well. I just think that should have been sort of more the theme maybe of the third one. And that would have made the third one better and made it so the fourth one was kind of unnecessary. But that's that's just my take. Honestly, I don't even I don't even like this idea. <laughs> the nostalgic like... part of me is like, excuse me, what do you mean you don't need a kid? You're a toy. <laughs> no, that's what he comes to terms with because Woody has always needed the affection of a of a kid to play with him and i think i think the kid's name is molly and she makes forky out of like clay popsicle sticks and a spork and there there are funny scenes where he's like having an existential crisis because he gains autonomy which is weird in this world but then it's like oh no i'm still trash and so he's like continually trying to throw himself away and then there's a randy newman song that's called i just want to throw myself away and it's funny and weird and Woody has to, like, protect him because he does care about the kid, but he's, like, half wanting to be the one that she prefers to play with because he's kind of not her favorite because she's not Andy anymore. She's her own kid. And so it was kind of building to that that he would eventually realize what was best for him was, like, finding his own way. And I understand if that might, like, ruin your child. What childhood does that a mean bit. for a toy? <laughs> what do you mean? It means he stays. So th- they are going on a road trip and they stop at a rest stop that has like its own like sort of amusement park town feel to it. And that's where Bo Peep has been. And kids will come and play and they'll get sort of played with there. But then they have like their own adventures and own world that is there. And they live independently. They don't have someone that 
plays with them or takes them home and puts them in their toy chest. They they I live feel on their like own. This sounds like somebody's trying to make you feel better about the plastic litter that is coming from your abandoned toys. But okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's very possible. That's very possible. <laughs> like I don't I don't know if I like this. Hey, I mean, you don't have to watch it. You could like honestly, I there's no one I think needs to watch it because the third movie ends on a good note where it feels like okay, it's wrapped up all the themes and ideas I had to say. Yeah, the fourth one feels recycling going on. What is this? The fourth one just feels a little tacked on. But they might make another one because they make millions and millions of dollars, so we'll see. Oh bother. All right. Well tell me tell me about I Lost My Body. Okay. So what I appreciated the most about I Lost My Body is there's certain scenes where the hand is trying to find its way back to its the rest of its body. And it has to like scale buildings and it tries to grab onto a umbrella and has to go across the highway. And it's that sequence that just is like visually really interesting. And that's like sort of what stands out in my mind. There's some strange parts of the story that kind of, I don't think work quite as well, but that's, that's like secondary to what is like some really interesting, visually brilliant animation that, makes me think that would be the one I would recommend the most from the animated feature film if you hadn't seen it. Um, even though I like the animation style of Missing Link as well with the stop motion, story is not the best that's come from their studio. I still think they're trying to like chase the Coraline movie. Um, mm-hmm. And Klaus was kind of interesting. It was a little bit silly. It was like recontextualizing like the Santa mythology, it was it was strange. That was the one that I did really want to see. I remember around Christmas time. I think time. you would like it. Around Christmas time, it would be an interesting one. Okay. I just think I Lost My Body maybe had like the most adult themes and interesting animation. Not that like they have to be for adults, and I think there's something to be found in kids' movies that are animated as well, but this felt like the most mature of all the, the movies. All right. Did you ever yeah. see the film Idle Hands? No, what is that? Okay, never mind. It's like a dark fantasy horror film about um, a teenager whose hand becomes like super possessed and wants to murder, and he tries to cut it off, and it just goes on an adventure of its own. It was just the first thing I thought of. Okay, I'll have to look into that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a bad 90s film. No, I I would watch that. Speaking speaking of bad, not quite 90s, but horror movies, we're going to, and I know that's a weird transition, I think we're going to be good to shift into our Valentine's discussion and then our upcoming releases after that. All right. I, do you want to start with your favorite Valentine's movie, well, or should I? start this one. Okay. You're going to be mad, I feel like, when oh, I told gosh. you we were doing this, because this, this counts. It totally counts. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm already concerned. All right. What is it? So I picked a movie from 1981 called My Bloody Valentine. And (laughs) it is a decades-old folktale surrounding a deranged murder, killing those who celebrate Valentine's Day. It turns out to be a true legend when a group defies the killer's orders to not have a Valentine's Day party, and people start turning up dead. So there was a remake of this movie, but I'm not going to talk about that one. I'm going to talk about the old one that is like total trashy 80s horror movie where, oh, all the like kids are being promiscuous and drinking and having sex. But then this like 
mysterious like pickaxe murdering miner who had like died comes back and starts killing them and it's so cheesy and stupid and good but i think there need to be more holiday themed horror movies so that is why i'm talking about that if you need anything to summarize it the tagline for the movie was there's more than one way to lose your heart and that is just great (laughs) that is so great cheese and it's so good okay I'll Have you give seen it this? To the tagline. <laughs> I do think there are more horror, um, there are more themed horror movies. I also think there are several more Valentine's Day themed horror movies. Like what? Like, uh, like Valentine from what, two thousand one? It's kind of scary. It's a slasher okay. film. Okay, I would have to look that up. I just, I was not familiar with that many, and when I found this because someone recommended it to me and I watched it with them. It was just really good. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I just cannot believe that this this trashy film got your favorite, but okay. Why not? Because that's the most <laughs> movie for me. Like, even though we're about to talk about a more, not conventional, because I, I think it was actually unconventional, a more typical movie that would come to mind is a Valentine's Day movie with the photograph. I romance movies come on I like some romance movies i can be a sucker for romance movies um i really like this movie called about time that's kind of a romance movie even though it again ends up kind of not being in more of that but i don't know i'm a sucker for horror movies and this was just silly good fun and it's just great but what did you pick cornell for okay. your valentine's movie <laughs> well i went full cheese and Yay. I picked the movie valentine's day the one with Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Wow, I love that. That's the. I mean, you know what? It's always it's very telling. He's kind of he's kind of the main character. I understand it's ensemble, but a lot of it is him. As I said, it says a lot about a person, which character you remember from this movie, because there are so many. I okay. also who love. Your, who are your favorite characters in this movie? Oh, I mean, I just love watching Patrick Dempsey do anything. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he is. But I also, okay, more than anything, I like this um, film sort of trend. So you've got Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve and Love Actually. Those are the only three that I know that do this. I don't even know what kind of, I don't know if there's a name for it. <laughs> you know, like it's an ensemble cast and all of them tangentially tangentially know each other. I would say just an ensemble film where it's intersecting stories with just a bunch of different people that maybe never meet, but sort of will, like, randomly talk with each other, like... Yeah, you oh, know that Ashton they're Kutcher. all part of, like, a largish connection, like, seven degrees yeah. of separation. Or it's, like, because Ashton Kutcher's character, he, like, sells flowers, and, like, one of the other characters will randomly show up to buy flowers or something, mm-hmm. and then they'll just leave. <laughs> and I, I understand, it, in theory, that that can kind of be, like, poetic of, like, oh, we're all just, like extras in a movie of each other's yeah, lives each other's lives i love that i know I and i'm about to undercut movies. it but it's it also feels like an excuse to just jam in a bunch of other celebrity names and be like look at how many people are in this movie like the new year's eve movie and stuff like that honestly I, it's not a problem i have i'm not i'm not gonna argue with that you you're probably right but honestly <laughs> <laughs> you paid this many people to do this i'm i'm interested in watching them all you know, have a little piece of the pie. Though when I t- looked it up, um, looked up information about it, I did notice that Time named it one of the top ten worst chick flicks. Yeah. Which just makes it feel more apt that it ended up 
um, my choice for this discussion. Hey, I picked also something kind of trashy in its own way. So I know, and for once I felt like I was... This was you were picking you know, the well movie that was I was like, oh, you can't call my movie trash. Your movie's trash, too. I know. That would be, that would be hypocritical. <laughs> Which is great, because, you know, usually you think my movies are trash, but not this time. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have anything else you want to say about Valentine's Day before we sort of shift into... Upcoming release movies that are coming out when people hear this this weekend today, or do you do you want to talk more about the the wonders of Valentine's Day? We can carry on and move on to okay. our debut film. Okay, I'm actually probably gonna maybe tack on a second one that I also saw, um, but I like that one less, so I probably will talk about it less. But I'm gonna start with the photograph, um, which I was curious about because i had visited the director's previous movies she had made this sort of breakout film called gene of the joneses in 2016 that was like a very low budget movie that was a tiff and then she made the movie everything everything that was based off of the novel where it's the Uh younger girl who has a medical condition that prevents her from leaving the home and then a cute boy moves in across the way and i thought that was one i've seen I thought that was well-directed, but the way the story was structured, it sort of didn't quite work, and I think it's it's better when she's writing for herself because I think her follow-up movie she made called The Weekend, which was just a story of this woman who's a stand-up comedian and is invited by her ex to a weekend retreat and his her ex's new girlfriends. I thought that was pretty good, and I liked that. It was a little constrained by its budget, um, which is why building up to this i thought the photograph was really good um it stars lakeith stanfield and Issa ray and the story is essentially that lakeith plays this character who is a journalist who is working on a story and he sees this photograph that leads him to Issa ray's character who is a museum curator who is working on this like photography project about her mom who was a photographer and them sort of striking up a relationship. And even though it's definitely a romance movie and they have really good chemistry and are very funny, there's a lot of really good laugh moments. What really made it interesting to me is how they're both trying to overcome their past. More so Issa Rae's character because her mother had kind of been not the best parent in some ways. And she's trying to figure out why that was what mistakes her mom made. But then, of course, it's the thing that she's falling into some of those same patterns. And it just really works and is really interesting because it kind of tells these flashback love stories of her mom falling in love in the same way that she's falling in love now. And it ends a little quickly, but I was actually kind of fine with that. And I think it's really good. I think people people should see it. Do you have any questions about it since you're also here and I don't just want to talk too much? And no, well, I mean, I haven't seen it, so I, I don't. I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, I've seen a lot of promotion. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, it is. I just, I think it's really interesting. Always when you see, you know, a promotional team work this hard to make sure that everybody is aware of this movie. So I'm excited about that. Um, and I love Lucky Stanfield. So yeah, and he's yeah. really good. Like both of them are good. But honestly, every time I see him in a movie. He just is, like, so dynamic and interesting. He was in a lot of supporting roles last year. He was a Mm -hmm. supporting role in Uncut Gems and in Knives Out. 
and he was really good in those, but it was nice to see him in kind of a leading role, even well, actually, though this is becoming more about Issa Rae at certain times. Well, I've, I guess I recent, most recently actually saw him in another quote-unquote chick flick. So, well, what the... well, he was oh, in yeah. someone great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we, we, we both liked that movie. Yeah, yeah. that was... This, just, this feels like similar, but he's more of a main character in this. Okay, well, good, because he definitely is a peripheral character in someone great. Yeah. But yeah. I, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to see more of what he's doing. I'm excited to see him be a leading man. I'm excited to see a black chick flick that isn't about blackness, like super, you know, intentionally and specifically. Um, I feel like that's a really interesting development in just films in general, being seeing films that are supposed to appeal to wider audiences that aren't all white, and that's going to be fun. And the only the only other thing I don't mean to cut you off. Did you have something else you wanted to say about it? No, go ahead. The only thing. So, do you know who Chelsea Peretti is? I don't. She's a stand-up comedian, and she's she's the. Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's in this movie, and she's the boss of the journalism company that he works for. And it feels like she was meant to be in it for more because she sort of is like hard nosed and very abrasive and has those moments where she's just like very like tough and it sort of played for laughs. But I don't know if she was the best cast for that. I almost was thinking like Kate McKinnon for most of the time, but that's like a small nitpick because she's not really in it that much. And maybe if there had been more of her, I could have begun to see that dynamic a bit more, but. That's just a small detail. The the main two are to me great. That she's not likable. Is she not likable in the film? Uh, yeah, she's not meant to be likable, but it's like it's it's never that she's a conflict for anyone. She's sort of just like hard nosed, tough, which could be very much that's what they want her to be is like a foil to him a little bit. Even though, and this is again a small nitpick, he's working on his journalism piece and just sort of is like doing it all the time, but he never really like clearly finishes it, or it's not exactly <laughs> sure what he's doing. But that's like not why you go to see the movie. Um, I wish but, I want you to give me all the spoilers. I'm not gonna lie. I, but... I can I can give it to you after or after you see it. The only other thing that I have to be careful about to again avoid spoilers, um, the character uh, Lakeith's character, his name <laughs> uh, Lakeith's character's name is Michael Block, and uh-huh. he he goes to interview. This man, Isaac Jefferson, who's played by Rob Morgan, who is a really good character actor who always is just like really good. And he's only briefly in this, but in the little moments, probably one of my favorite scenes, he's he just like gut punches you with like some of his line delivery and acting because it's contextualized in a way where you learn all about her past and Mm -hmm. who this man is to her. And it's really great. And so he's really good in it. He's again not in it a lot, but he's he's great while he's in it. So so yeah, he's. I almost feel like he was my favorite in some of the interactions he has with Issa Rae's character and the dynamic they have going back and forth. It's really really good. Well, there's one more thing I want to do comment on because I haven't okay. seen it, but I do want to know: uh, is the framing good? <laughs> I don't know what that is. What is that? Oh, no, like no, like the framing. Oh of- oh yeah yeah. Um. I think, yes, there's a lot. I made a note of this, but I didn't write about it. There's a lot of crane shots. They really love using that crane. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is kind of smooth and flowing. Characters getting out of cars, being very smooth going into, like, all these places, very glamorous. And I I appreciated that. There's, like, some interesting scenes where there's, like, 
the aftermath of a storm and they're just walking and talking together. And all of that was like really good and interesting. There are a few moments where there seems like they're trying to include like product placement for a certain car in the frame. And I'm like, oh, why can't, <laughs> why can't he be driving this like cool, like convertible or like old truck? I don't know. I was just like the aesthetic. I was like, why is that there? But in reality, that's what he would drive if he was going to report on a story and had to rent a car. Like, I understand. Whatever. But <laughs> yes, I would say it's probably her best directed movie. It reminded me a lot of uh, her movie, Gene of the Joneses. It, re it revisits a lot of the themes, has very similar ideas about family and history that I think are really good. But this just has a bigger budget and she can make a lot of use of that. And makes me curious what she'll do in the hope that it's very successful. And maybe we'll talk about that next time and see how it does. I'm just uh, because there was some really interesting framing in the trailers that I thought was, yeah. were good, but also weren't possible. But it's fine. <laughs> Wait, why? Uh, there's like a, a moment in one of the trailers where they have this uh, shot taken from above that is supposed to be a reference to a photograph that she has. Okay. So that's something that's cool, though, is they, they show... explain how the photograph is possible. Yes. Um, oh they God. they. Sh if it's one I'm thinking of, they do show her getting some of the photographs. And I that that's I'm a sucker for that type of stuff where they're like, oh, here's this photograph you saw as they were going through her collection of old boxes of photos. And then they sort of are like, here's the context and the scene and the emotions that were surrounding that photograph. Okay. And that's that's really cool. I like when they do that. Good. So I'm not just, quite which one you're referring about to. Who took the photo? It's like a photo taken through glass and it's from above and it's of two people. But I'm just. That might be one that they sort of made for the trailer. Yeah, okay. Which I can't blame on the director because trailers are cut often by other people, not them. I would almost say for anyone else listening, avoid the trailer because there's certain things that are hinted at and some good jokes that I think are kind of ruined. They don't ruin the best joke. There's the best joke in the movie, which is when Issa Rae goes over to uh, Lakeith's friend's house and they have two kids and it's sort of this like, oh, here's where his friends are at in their life. But some of the things the kids say to Issa Rae's character about his past relationships are really, really funny and had probably the like biggest laugh moments that I think I'm glad they didn't put in the trailer. But I also think just just go see it. This is good. Just go see it. OK. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go see it anyway. But okay, listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think that about does it. The only other thing I was going to mention is not a Valentine's Day movie, but it was a movie that I saw that I didn't like. Okay. So, let's see if Quinnell knows what it is. It's a movie called Downhill. It stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell. You've oh, maybe I, seen Trailers. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see this movie. I don't like Will Ferrell. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to like this movie. Uh, they promoted it a little bit at the Oscars to kind of tie it all back around. Mm -hmm, I think I saw the trailer. Yeah, it's it's about a family that is going on a ski trip in the Alps, and... Will Ferrell's character runs away from there's what he thinks is potentially a threatening avalanche and the family sort of dealing with that. The frustrating thing is this movie already exists. It was a movie from 2014 called And I Fort think I've seen the clips for that one. And that one's great. It's a little bit more art house feeling type movie, very slow, sometimes long cuts. This is more of a conventional comedy. They have a lot of jokes about hashtags that just felt very strange. Oh, God. 
And yeah, I unfortunately can't say that it's worth seeing. Even if you're a fan of the original, it doesn't really add anything to it. Like the need to make an American remake just feels weird. It doesn't it doesn't do anything. If ever there was a movie to remake, I don't know why it would be this one. I think <laughs> Louis Dreyfus is fine at times, but I don't know. It's just that's I would say go go see the photograph. And if you're going <laughs> to stay home, watch Force Majeure instead. Cause it's available probably places, but yeah. It's unfortunate. It said it was inspired by Force Majeure, which is just weird. Cause it's like, yeah, it's the same movie. You've changed some things, not ever for the better. The ending is different certain developments in the story, but I don't know. I would say don't see it, especially if you don't like Will Ferrell like Quinnell. Yeah, hot take. Will Ferrell's not funny, but... And I think that was the thing we were trying to make him more dramatic in this, and I've liked some of his drama movies, but this is not one of those. Yikes. But it's like the other Valentine's Day movie that's coming out being positioned as sort of like a family drama slash married couple trying to like work together. So kind of romantic, I guess, like them trying to reconnect and figure out what each other wants. It's, it's, it's just not good. It's unfortunate because I don't know. I like the directing team, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash. And I think they've made some interesting movies. The way, way back I thought was pretty good. This is just like, why not write your own things? I don't know. Like, the fact that this is, even exists is just so so bizarre, and I saw it. I just am not sure it was real. I just can't believe it. Well, I w- was going to ask you one more question. It sort of circles okay. back to the conversation we were having about the Academy Awards. Okay, we can Do close on that. What's up? There are interesting snubs from this year. Yeah, probably. I would have said The Lighthouse, even mm-hmm. though it did get a nomination for Best Cinematography. I thought maybe I would have preferred Willem Dafoe over Brad Pitt as a Best Supporting Actor nomination, just because Willem Dafoe was, like, so good in some of his monologues and a lot of what he was just going over the top to do. It was it was great. That, that would probably be my biggest one, besides another half-supporting, half-Best uh, Actor nomination, even though I know we disagree about this movie, and I don't want us to launch into a whole thing about it. But I thought Lupita Nyong'o in Us. Oh, I'm going to agree with you. Okay. You to, you I don't know why you always think we disagree about this movie. Just because I have a question. We had a whole conversation where you were like, why didn't it reveal more information? Yes, but I, I thought that's like, what just made because it performance I have issues good. with it and I have questions. It's, I think it's a great movie. I was really surprised that it wasn't nominated. I really right. was. And that's that's one of the things where the Oscars is very much about like you campaigning for it and sending out like screeners and like what time of year it comes out and also that like horror movies kind of get a bad rap like I think Lupita Nyong'o was this year's Tony Collette because Tony Collette was great uh, a couple years ago in Hereditary. I also thought maybe Florence Pugh could have been a best supporting actress for Midsommar instead of mm-hmm. Little Women, but at least you got something. Lupita was completely snubbed for everything. Even yeah. though, like, I, throughout most of the movie, I kept being like, oh, yeah, she's playing both of these people. But, like, through her physicality and emotion and 
delivery. It's amazing. Just, yeah, it was. It kept catching me off guard, and it's really good. And I also really like the ending and the way she reveals what what happened through just like very subtle things. Yeah, I would have also liked to have seen the last black man in San Francisco. Not yeah, that. that was that was fantastic. I was very surprised by that as being sort of more irreverent and humorous than I had expected, but it was still really beautiful. Like cinematography was great. Yeah. Ooh, that was that was a bad one to to not recognize. I would have yeah. I would have preferred that in fifteen seventeen. Me too. And that's honestly what I was thinking. It's just as far as the reasons to for it to be nominated. All the same reasons as nineteen seventeen, but better. <laughs> Absolutely. But it makes me makes me want to see more because I think there's there's more going to be coming from the directing team. It reminded me a lot of this movie from Barry Jenkins. It was his first movie. It was called Medicine for Melancholy. Mm-hmm. And I really like that movie. And there's even certain moments in uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco that almost seem to be directly in conversation with Medicine for Melancholy, especially the the monologue given about on the bus about like you don't get to hate the city if you also love the city. I might be misquoting that a little bit, but that's essentially what he's saying. And there's a very similar conversation that happens in Medicine for Melancholy. So if you're looking for an interesting double feature that isn't just about it because it's set in San Francisco, but also just about like the way the characters are working through things, it's it's also very good. All right. Anyway, well, I think that's probably going to Thank gonna you for having me. Yeah, of course. We should we should do this again sometime. Just talk about movies and stuff. <laughs> Well, anyway, yeah, no, it's definitely really interesting. We can, I, I would love to, I would love to be on your show again. Oh well, thank you. Thanks, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, look for future podcasts as well. Feel free to subscribe and and follow along. We'll be we'll be doing this probably again when movies come out. Seeing what what's interesting, other topics, our favorite movies of certain genres or themes or from directors. Um, yeah, Quinnell, do you want to let the people know where they can find you and see your Twitter replies? No. <laughs> okay, really? Well, all right, you all can follow me at Pizza Mondays on Twitter. Which was a Twitter um, handle you fought for. You had to get that back. Yeah, I actually bought it back. Can you oh, believe? really? Okay. Yeah, for $60, like a fool. That girl conned me. She didn't even really want it. But uh, yes, at Pizza Mondays, um, that's where I'm wily on the internet. So there's lots of uh, adult content, but it's it's a fun place to be. And I definitely, you know, leave a lot of comments and start a lot of conversations and threads there. So that's where I'll be. Awesome. And everyone can follow me at, at Eclectic Hutch. I'm trying to go for my own other Twitter username, but the person has it and I got to get it. But that's what we're going with for now. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Have a great rest of your day and we'll, we'll see you next time.